welcome to the first episode of Lux Unplugged's new series, Net Zero Future. I'm your host, Claudia, and I'm joined by Lux Unplugged's veteran host, Cherry. Hi, Cherry. Hello, Claudia. Great to be here. I'm very excited about the new series. What can you tell us about Net Zero Future? On Net Zero Future, we will talk about climate change, mitigation and adaptation, as well as sustainability issues more broadly. We'll be interviewing various experts, policymakers, activists across many different sectors in Luxembourg and abroad. Net Zero Future will be educational, entertaining, at times depressing, but I also hope inspirational. I think that we've reached a point where people in their personal lives or their work lives will feel the need to know more about climate change and more importantly even, what we can do about it as individuals. It does sound like on the Net Zero Future podcast, we will take our listeners on a journey to take the next step and learn about what we can do as individuals, as employees, and also what can be done at the level of companies and, of course, governments. I'm so pleased that we could kick the series off with our first guest, Claude Thomas, Luxembourg's Minister of Energy and Spatial Planning. This is indeed very exciting. What are your highlights from your conversation with Minister Thomas? The biggest take-home message for me was how he views spatial planning as an enabler of low-carbon lifestyles. I think this is a viewpoint we rarely take, as we tend to focus on the energy sector and we lose track of how the built environment shapes our decision-making. And now, without further ado, your conversation with Minister Claude Thomas. Since 2018, Claude Thomas is Luxembourg's Minister for Energy and Spatial Planning. And for almost 20 years, from 1999 to 2018, he was a member of the European Parliament, where he was Vice President of the Green Party and a member of the Environment Commission. Minister Thomas, thank you for joining us on this first episode of our new series, Net Zero Future on Lux Unplugged. Good morning. You have a long history of being socially and politically active on sustainability topics. Looking back on the time since you first joined the European Parliament in 1999, what has changed at the European level in terms of how sustainability topics are treated? 20 years ago, we were very much under this idea, okay, what we need really in society is economic development and then a bit of redistribution. What we need to do is to to respect the boundaries and the tipping points of the global ecosystems. And that has got much better because the scientific evidence of uh, respecting the ecological limits, for example, on climate change is much better today through the IPCC reports. But the other thing which made a really big change in the societies in Europe was uh, Greta Thunberg and the sisters and brothers who brought this debate from a limited numbers of people who were more informed and concerned to the broader society by being in the streets and by bringing the discussions into the families and asking their parents, what are you doing for my future as a young person who today has 12, 15, 18, 20 years, and I will have as a young person to live with, in a certain sense, the non-respect of ecological limits which you leave to us. I agree. I also get the feeling that people have a much greater sense of urgency or that the topic is a lot more widespread and discussed in all layers of society. So I wanted to turn now to Luxembourg. 
As Minister for Energy and Spatial Planning, you have the ability to help transition Luxembourg away from fossil fuels in transportation, heating and electricity generation. What are some of the key areas in the Luxembourgish energy sector when it comes to the transition to low carbon energy? So I think first, also for those who are not living in Luxembourg, you have to understand Luxembourg is a small territory with a very intense economy. We are the fastest growing OECD country, so we are growing in population faster than Mexico because we have a very thriving and dynamic financial center in Luxembourg. So the city of Luxembourg is one of the big global financial hubs that brings a lot of commuters to Luxembourg, so more transport activities than in normal country. In addition to that, we have a lot of industry, global uh, big energy intensive industry like ArcelorMittal producing steel in Luxembourg for the whole world, DuPont producing chemicals, Goodyear's producing tires. So Luxembourg is a big financial hub plus a relatively big for its size industrial hub. And then in addition to that, we have two other transport specificities. One is we have Cargolux, which is one of the world's biggest freight carrier airline. And we had a policy in Luxembourg to make our fuel especially cheap also to our neighbors and then attract especially the lorries of almost all Western Europe. So, And that leads to an overproportional ecological rucksack and and that uh, is our starting point so we are unfortunately number two behind qatar in using our resources first our overshoot day is already in february and starting from that is of course a complicated situation and the first thing we have to do we have to use all kind of technological innovation we have today one is for example electromobility so in a country where you have a lot of cars, trying to bring people from fossil cars over to electric cars and then fueling them with uh, renewable electricity, which is more and more dominating in the Western European electricity market. Then, of course, we have laws. For example, all new buildings in Luxembourg will be fossil-free from 1st of January next year. So a very tough law. I think it's the toughest law in the world on new buildings. And then we do a lot to stimulate people to do renovation. So it is a mix about energy efficiency in uh, the mobility sector, also with free public transport, massive investment into public transport, trying to get our local authorities more bike friendly, and then, of course, also trying to reshape the planning culture from a fossil car culture over to a, a culture where we want people in the cities to, to use the soft mobility like walking, biking and uh, public transport. And then, of course, also constituting an environment where you, you basically stay more surrounding because your surrounding is very well designed and, and pleasant. And then, of course, in addition to that, we have introduced some fiscal measures. So we have introduced the CO2 tax, which revenues... 50% go to compensate those who have less revenue and the other 50% help us to, to finance uh, or to support the alternatives, which I mentioned. So we have support schemes for electric cars, for electric bikes, for renovation of your house, for solar uh, energy in Luxembourg, for wind energy in Luxembourg. So that is uh, one part of what we are doing on our in our country. And then the second part is that we have started also to do cooperation agreements with those countries who have an even bigger renewable resource. And one of these cooperation agreements is with Denmark. So we have signed an agreement to basically uh, team up with Denmark 
on building offshore wind and then bringing green electricity uh, to Luxembourg. So that is some of our highlights. That is framed with the national climate law. We have basically upgraded our ambition from a 40% reduction in 2030 to a 55% reduction of our greenhouse gases. And behind that, we have a very detailed work plan in the form of an energy and climate national plan. So that's a bit the setting. And then, of course, now we are trying to implement this with a lot of uh, energy and, and uh, also talks with stakeholders. And we have also something in Luxembourg, which I think is unique. We have 102 local authorities, and these 102 local authorities are in an institutional agreement with the government on promoting climate change. You paint a very challenging picture for Luxembourg. Our starting point is a very high carbon footprint, a high ecological footprint. But it's good to see all of the different policies that you've so far implemented. I wanted to talk about your dual role as Minister for Energy and Spatial Planning. We heard a lot about the energy side. How important is spatial planning for getting Luxembourg on a path to net zero greenhouse gas emissions? I think we need spatial planning, not only in Luxembourg, to be fine-tuned now to be a climate agent and to be a biodiversity agent. Why? When I was in the Green Group in the European Parliament, we ordered studies on how could Europe become <clears throat> zero carbon. And when you look at this, uh, you can do all renewables you can do, all uh, zero-emission houses, cars, trucks, everything what technology can bring. And then you see that that is not enough to uh, allow Europe to be on, on a below two degree uh, scenario. We need also lifestyle changes in the food sector, in the mobility sector, and also in the leisure sector, because one big CO2 footprint of all rich countries uh, like Switzerland or Luxembourg is also tourism. People living in Luxembourg fly out of Luxembourg overproportionately, and, and that is, of course, uh, also a huge uh, footprint. So what is the role of what I would call modern, up-to-date spatial planning is first to engineer retrofit of the existing building areas to make them more green, more public transport friendly, take out cars, bring in bikes, bring in playing grounds for the young people, meeting points for the whole generations in existing areas. And then, of course, also all new areas have to be zero carbon planned from the beginning on. And we are doing some major developments on existing former industrial sites, like in Achiflange, in Dudelange, in Wils, where we use former industrial sites, polluted, which we depollute, and then build relatively dense and then zero carbon areas where the cars are no more allowed in. Cars are uh, parked in silos outside and inside this area, which can be an area for five, uh, eight, ten thousand people. You enjoy life because uh, there is uh, no cars, there is only bikes and uh, walking and, 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 and running and, and, and uh, leisuring uh, inside areas. So that is one responsibility of spatial planning. And the second responsibility is, of course, also to have a completely a different approach to the soil. Uh, soil is important. We need to protect soil and to prevent urban sprawl and, and more uh, basically asphalt and, 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 and concrete. It was all, always just done because of 
protection of nature and biodiversity. But now we understand in order to be zero carbon, we need also to capture some of the CO2 in the soils. So we must prevent that new land take. And therefore, I think the spatial planning must be on the basically crossing of climate change and biodiversity. So it's about zero carbon or net zero carbon and also net zero land take. And then, of course, you have issues like if we want people to change diet, change comes in my eyes also with having more vegetables in the in the proximity. So it's all about freeing space or organizing space in the cities, in the areas where people live for growing food, be it fruits, be it vegetables, so that there is another culture linked to our, our diets. So in a certain sense, Spatial planning is an enabler of lifestyle changes. And lifestyle changes, of course, happen because a person at a certain moment understands in which urgency we are, gets into a different mindset. But I don't want this to be an individual responsibility. Lifestyle changes is a social generational responsibility. And spatial planning, if it is well done, can enable and make this easy and enjoyable. And that is, I think, the new role also of uh, spatial planning. I think the importance of spatial planning for climate change mitigation really comes to the fore in this consultation, Luxembourg in Transition, that your ministry launched in 2020. The goal of Luxembourg in Transition was to help the government design a territorial strategy based on broad citizen consensus to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. Now, what led you to launch the Luxembourg in Transition call and why do you think this was needed for Luxembourg? Because at the level of the government, we don't have all answers to these enormous challenges. A zero carbon territory has never been designed. And even if I have fantastic civil servants working for me, we don't have all answers. And therefore, uh, the idea of this Luxembourg transition basically came from a visit I did three years ago in Geneva, uh, the Geneva area is very similar to Luxembourg in the sense that it's a global agglomeration, a city which is fully inserted into a globalized economy, very dynamic. And in, in Geneva, you have also the other problem which Luxembourg has is that uh, half uh, of, of the workforce doesn't live in your own country. So the Geneva workforce lives in France while commuting to Switzerland, whereas almost half of our uh, workforce in Luxembourg lives in France, in Germany, and in Belgium. And that adds another difficulty, which is how do you organize on territories which are not your territories? And how do you organize, how do you get to a new form of understanding beyond the borders? Geneva did a public contest with seven teams. We were more on the line that we don't want the contest, we want a consultation because we wanted the teams we, which were selected for the final round to work together. So we had 30 teams from all over Europe who wanted to be part of our consultation. We selected 10, we went down to six, and we ended with four teams delivering a strategy. What is the methodology of zero carbon net land take? So it, it's more the, the theory behind and then the second part was 
concrete areas which were to be designed or redesigned, like the what we call the mother of all commercial areas in Luxembourg, which is an area in the south of Luxembourg in Fürth, where one team, University of Luxembourg, basically transformed this, what is a complete madness of, of the fossil age with thousands of parking slots, thousands of people commuting kilometers to that area to buy and uh, going out again into a mixed area where people would have co-working spaces, commercial activities, and living uh, in one area together linked to a very uh, attractive uh, public transport system. So that is one of these projects. And then, of course, we work a lot on basically dynamizing, bringing new dynamics to existing areas from this fossil age. I think that our cities were very much conceived on the idea oil is cheap. And today we see now also we see Russia aggression of Ukraine and, and all the pressure that brings to the global fossil fuel markets that this typology, this approach to organizing the living areas is no more possible. And that is part of that uh, Luxembourg in transition. So what you describe are really enormous reductions in greenhouse gas emissions that we need to undertake and also increase carbon uptake by our soils and this sort of a shift in how we view spatial planning to enable people to change their lifestyles. Now, in the next 30 years, uh, we need to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 90%. Do you think the Luxembourgish people and government are aware of what is required? No, I think that even those uh, who work on this every day, <laughs> I think reducing our footprint by 90% or at the end of the day going to zero carbon, I think it's an inimaginable at this moment. And therefore, it's so important, this uh, process of the Luxembourg in transition, we have to create new narratives, we have to create new visions of uh, what is uh, a zero carbon commercial zone or mixed zone of the future, what is a rural area of zero carbon, because the rural areas will have huge importance, for example, to help collect the solar and, and uh, wind energy to go from a very intensive agriculture today in Luxembourg based on milk and meat to a more mixed farming, also bringing in tree planting in order to fix the, the CO2. I think we are now in the stage of, okay, we get more and more consensus. Climate change is urgent. Uh, and now we need to create the concrete visions and steps to go there. Of course, this will not be just one big jump. That will be a, a process. And that process will need to a direction, a vision, a narrative which is positive so that we get people uh, to, to say, oh, I, I want to be in this new world. And then, of course, we need a constant monitoring if the actions which we put into place well enough designed and if they are well enough also endorsed by, by the citizens. And in order to have the citizens also linked to this process, we didn't only have technical expertise from these multidisciplinary teams, which were helping us in Luxembourg in transition. But we had also a citizens committee because for me, it's absolutely clear. Citizens are committed more and more. Citizens have ideas which are very valuable. And citizens need to be from the beginning on in this dialogue with policymakers and also with experts. I think there is too much attention today 
in this uh, debate on zero carbon and also going to net zero land take on just on the technical aspects. At the end of the day, we need a society as a whole to be on that course. And that needs also much more attention to sociology. How do we create new forms of participations of citizens at all levels of decision-making in the local area, in the local town, and then also at national level. What we try to do also is how do we work together with our neighboring region because our economy has a footprint which is much bigger than our own territory. I think you're right that the required changes cannot be met through technological change alone. So lifestyle changes are required. I wonder who do you think will be most affected by the measures we need to take and how can we ensure that the transition is just? I think we have in our societies uh, still uh, too many people with low income. We have also in Luxembourg people who, who over one or two generations have stayed in, in poverty. So we need to address this, of course, with that dedicated anti-poverty policies. This is much more than just providing money. It's often also linked to how is the educational system designed to get children to be successful in school. But it is also clear that when it comes to climate change policies and also when it comes to housing policies, that there must be a dedicated part on how do we design policies not only for middle class who has money on the shelf, but how do we design also policies for those people who don't have financial reserves? And that is, of course, important when we do, for example, building retrofit. We are now giving an extra premium for people who have low income. We need all kind of fine-tuning of instruments because a lot of the existing energy efficiency policy, a lot of the existing building policy has been designed for middle-class people who have money on the shelf. And that is not good enough to bring into these positive changes also people with low income who often don't have money on the shelf. Before coming to that, when we designed our CO2 tax, we deliberately invented a new a system which is a tax rebate structured so those who have the lowest income in Luxembourg get the highest tax rebate. We take 50% of the revenue from our CO2 tax so that we can almost completely uh, neutralize the costs for, for the low income of this additional CO2 tax. So that's a measure we have taken in order to make this transition just. So we just discussed a bit what this means for citizens, the kind of lifestyle changes that are required whether people are aware of what is required. I wonder now, how is climate change mitigation coordinated across the different ministries in the Luxembourgish government? It is a real challenge for governments to address these cross-cutting, really important questions like climate change, but also the issue of net zero land take. So on climate change, we have an interministerial committee we have in this government the advantage that uh, a lot of the infrastructure ministries are with one party of the government. So the, the buildings, the transportation, public infrastructure, energy, environment, we try really to, to integrate at, at best. And then, of course, the one challenge is to get integration when it comes to climate change measures. And the other is, and that's, I would say, is a new challenge. How do you get, for example, the Ministry of Education together with the Ministry of Public Buildings to accept that also schools need to be in the spirit of net zero land take? You cannot continue to build schools at only two levels. You have to go the way which 
Paris, Copenhagen, others do, where you do even a mix between a school uh, is on the ground floor, floor one and floor two, and then you have living uh, housing above it on, on, the, on the third, fourth, and fifth floor. Then in Luxembourg, we have a system where the local authorities have a lot of autonomy when it comes to the local development. And so we need also to bring them into the game of how do you plan your city when you build out new not to use uh, new new ground. And that's really something which needs to be at the center of urban politics, which is redynamization of existing areas. Uh, and in Luxembourg, we have a lot of areas which have extremely low density. The big question is, how can you convince somebody who is in such a low density build out to accept that this density will be. So you can only do it if you are very skillful in creating an even better living condition. For example, by taking out the cars from the streets, bringing them in a silo where the cars are on one, two, three, four. Maybe on the tops you have a a playing ground for the children or you have a a beautiful terrace where you can watch in the evenings going down of the the sun. And, And then in the ground floor you have service activities which were missing in this area, a grocery, maybe a, a place where you, you, you can repair your bikes, where you can recycle your waste. We need a completely new approach to how do we redynamize, in a certain sense, local areas uh, which were built in the fossil area where oil was cheap and which now we need a new approach. Why? And that's the key question. While um, making the residents of these areas happy about uh, the changes which are planned and, and, and put into place. So this is a tough job of not only coordinating across the different ministries, but also coordinating with the local communes. And then, of course, inspiring the citizens themselves, the population to enact these lifestyle changes. What is your wish going forward? How can we ensure that what we learned in Luxembourg in transition is implemented? So I think the first thing which are doing now uh, with these fantastic ideas from these dedicated teams, we will now identify five, six, seven, eight pilot projects, which we then try to bring on the ground in the next year. So at least conceptually to to advance on this project like FIRTS, linking the big cities with the greenery, allowing to go to nature without taking your car. So this kind of center vert, so this urban belt, uh, green belt around uh, the cities. We have other uh, projects in mind. So one is to take the best ideas and further develop them in the next year. Then the second issue is we need to build Luxembourg in transition community, which consists of the teams, but also people in the ministries working on this, people in civil society. So we had a, a consultative uh, body where we have had representatives from the local authorities, from the trade unions, from the business sector. So I think we really need to build up a community. And once a year, we want to do this kind of event allowed Luxembourg in transition. And then we are also reaching out to our closer neighbors. We will present the results of Luxembourg in transition to the greater region governments. We have already secured 50 million in the next Interreg EU project to build up territorial bridges between Luxembourg and, and the close neighbors. And then the fourth issue is at EU level where we will play an active part in uh, what EU Commission has launched, which is the new European Bauhaus. Bauhaus, that was Niels van der, van der Rohe. But when you look at it today, this architecture was only possible 
with the idea that fossil energy is, is damn cheap. Today, we need a new European Bauhaus, uh, which has really zero carbon, zero net uh, land take at the center, uh, and of course, inclusive cities, because we need to be much more inclusive for the people who have lower income, and Europe can only be a thriving continent if we will continue to accept migration. That is the new Bauhaus, a new central idea of planning culture in Europe and then hopefully from there to the whole world. It's good to hear how much Luxembourg is doing at the national level, the regional level, and also the European level. I wanted to ask you something on a more personal note. Can you tell us about something you do on a daily basis to reduce your own carbon footprint? I sold my private car already in the 90s when I was an ecological activist. I, I think I already I saw this dilemma between preaching or fighting for less CO2 emissions and then having a fossil car myself. I'm a big fan of public transport, especially rail for longer distances. And then coming to work, I can take the new light rail tram or I often bike to where I'm working. So that's one. And then when it comes to food, I'm limiting my consumption of meat to one day a week. And I think this kind of diet change is, is very, very important. So I, I try not to be counterproductive and to be counter logic to what I'm trying to put forward as a policymaker. Certainly an inspiring role model. And it also shows that you know exactly how much each of these actions contribute in terms of decarbonization. Yes, and I think we are in an urgency and, and this Ukraine war or this Russian aggression to Ukraine adds to this urgency. What is now important is we need to be bold, but we need also to be skillful to bring in our population in, in the most attractive and easy way to these changes. And therefore, I think we have to upgrade our sociological knowledge of how do you impulse change? How do you manage change? I think we need a completely different culture of democratic participation. I think democracy is not anymore just about every four or five years to put a paper in a box and, and to elect a representative who should run and take care of life and the planet for you. But we need now a much more participation. So a culture of making citizens and stakeholders at all levels to participate. And then I think we need also tools. And that was also part of this Luxembourg transition to get Every citizen understand where do I stand? What is my carbon footprint? And what may be the one or two things I can as quick as possible and as easy as possible change? Because somebody living in a rural area has a, often a different footprint than somebody who is living in the center of a city. So we need also uh, to be much more detailed, sophisticated, uh, but also really changing where I am today in the fossil age and going over to what is the energy of peace, the energy of the future, which is renewable energy, and then, of course, trying to be as resource-efficient and energy-efficient as possible. So we just saw all of the changes that are required, both on the government level, industry level, on a personal level when it comes to lifestyle changes. I mean, it's, it's a lot. We do like to end on a positive note here on our podcast, Net Zero Future. So I'll ask you, what gives you hope for our path to net zero? 
Because technology uh, is really leapfrogging, so for example, electromobility, uh, we will be able to build batteries with less rare earths, we, we can recycle the batteries, we know how to build zero carbon houses. Uh, we will see a big change in industry, for example, in making steel zero carbon, making cement zero carbon. So I think technology is moving as a policymaker and somebody who has been in this game for 30 years my tribute goes to greta and scissors and brothers because it is the, them who have made possible the democratic basis to do politics who are up to the climate urgency and the biodiversity urgency so my message to greta and sisters and brothers all those kids and uh, young adults who have been on the streets Continue to bring pressure on policymakers. You choose your professional activities. I need people who climb on the roofs to fix solar. I need people to, to retrofit buildings. I need engineers in mobility planning in industry. So I hope that a lot of what I would call the Vietnam of these great sisters and brothers on climate change, I think this needs to be the basis also of having a massive influx of young people into the skills and jobs we need in all kinds of sectors. Thank you very much, Minister Thomas, for joining us here on Net Zero Future. We'd be happy to have you back again soon. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to lay out what we are working on. And have a nice day. Thank you, you too. Thanks for listening to the Net Zero Future podcast on Lux Unplugged. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. We welcome your feedback and ideas for new episodes. See you next time.